we, on the other hand, tend to use our feelings as the basis for our identity. And it's the most consistent thing in our worlds because God knows our thinking isn't consistent. We're all over right. the map. Right. And so very simply what I do in Driven is, is make a very strong case where rather than trying to figure out who you are, it's an acceptance of what you are. Before we get started, have you gotten my free ebook, 10 Quick Tips to Calm the Chaos When You're Feeling Overwhelmed? Go to the success.life forward slash free resource. This ebook will give you 10 quick strategies to calm yourself down, tame the chaos, even in the midst of your challenges. So go now to the success.life forward slash free resource and get your copy today. Welcome to the Intentional Leadership Podcast. This podcast will help you break through the barriers holding you back from the true life of significance you are meant to live. I'm your host, Janelle Bruland, and I invite you to join me each month as I share leadership lessons and specific strategies to transform your leadership, crush your goals, and love your life. As a high-achieving entrepreneur, there was a time when I was overwhelmed doing all of the things and found myself overworked and overcommitted. Through the power of intention, I learned how to shift my mindset and create success habits to achieve a healthy work-life balance and true joy in my life. Now I'm here to help you do the same. Don't just be the CEO of your business, be the CEO of your life. Let's get started. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Intentional Leadership Podcast. I am so excited today to have a very special guest with us, Dr. Doug Brackman. And with two PhDs in psychology, Dr. Doug has spent his entire career working with top performers to help them overcome their limiting beliefs, stop their cycle of shame, and achieve the ultimate personal and professional success. Doug has created a new level of framework that's extraordinarily powerful and an invaluable resource for the highly driven, providing insight, understanding, and tools to better leverage one's unique gifts that ultimately results in optimum performance. Welcome, Doug. So excited to have you here today. Thank you. I am glad to be here. Wonderful. Well, you wrote the book, Driven, Understanding and Harnessing the Genetic Gifts Shared by Entrepreneurs, Navy SEALs, Pro Athletes, and Maybe You. <laughs> and I read your book and had an opportunity to listen to you speak. And I just thought this would be a great topic for our community to listen to, which are entrepreneurs and business leaders, many of them driven or supporting someone who is driven. So, so let's talk about your book. Can we start with what is it that compelled you to write this book? How did this come okay. together? Great question. It's um, despite what any other psychologist may say, psychologists get into the field of psychology to figure out their own crap. So <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I wrote the book. It's about me to tell you the truth. And, and um, always felt like I was different, something unique about me didn't quite like I didn't quite ever feel like I really felt in that second grade third grade experience where you're sitting in the classroom and and quite don't understand why everyone else doesn't see how stupid the traditional school education is and so it's just like why don't you people understand what a waste of time this is and so it, it led into um my own, my own path, it's been, you know, I've, I've struggled 
early on, you know, I, with addictions. And in 1991, when I entered graduate school, a Time Magazine article came out that said, we found the alcoholism genes. And it was the first time that I really thought about, you know, that, that what I am is something genetically different. And the last 32 years, 33 years has been really understanding. It's just been an amazing time to be a psychologist because it, um, the science is catching up with the, the real understanding of what we are as people. So it's, it's a, so I wrote driven to, um, really tell people that are like me that there's nothing wrong with them. We're supposed to be this way. Mm, I love that. And you talk about the two genes, specifically a couple of genes in your book. Um, tell us a, about those. Yeah, so it, it, I always give a shout out to Tom Hartman, who originally came up with this hunter-farmer theory. Tom was a um, actually a talk show host, but he had an ADD, ADHD kid and really explored, you know, as a from a cultural anthropology or evolutionary psychology perspective, that there must be some reason why his kid was different than the rest. Hmm. And he posited, he, he made the theory that somewhere along the line, the human species began to adapt to the agricultural revolution. That 4,000, 5,000 years ago, the world became a very stable, boring place to live. Sure. Yes. There's 5%, 8% of the general population that retained the original hunter genetics and the original brain structure that wired us for a different world, that wired us for a much more competitive, much more dangerous, much more chaotic environment. And what and was so that percentage again? So it's somewhere, and it depends upon how you define driven, but it's somewhere between 2% of the general population and about 8% have our brain structure. Okay. And so you put us in a functional MRI and that I took Tom Hartman's theory and actually dove deep in the science. And it, you put us in a functional MRI and what a functional MRI does is really looks at what part of the brain is, is being used as dominant or primary. Okay. And a normal MRI, a normal functional MRI for most people, you have a very nice ball of activity on the left prefrontal. And so it's a, the left prefrontal is the executive function of the brain. Mm -hmm. And what that does, it, it teaches and trains the, the person with this brain structure to see the world as a series of sequential steps, logical, rational, linear. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about a farmer, they are literally wired to see the world as a, a simple farming process. You put a seed in the ground, you cover it with dirt, you water it, you patiently wait, and eventually it grows. Mm -hmm. Then you harvest the growth, you wait for the result, and then you harvest it and you save some of that for later. And then you do the same thing again and again and again and again and again next year. And that is what creates safety and security. So most people on this planet are wired for a W-2 job. They really do like that assembly line world where if you do what you did yesterday, it's more likely to lead to success tomorrow. And so it, it's 
they they are not wired like me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Structured, comfortable, safe. And predictable, safe. Predictable. They're risk adverse. You know, they really like stability and predictability. They don't like change. Um, but if you think about a hunter and you put us in a functional MRI and hunt in this very widely studied research because there's money in it for attention deficit disorder, you put us in a functional MRI, the back of our heads light up. And so the occipital lobe, and so we use our eyeballs to go through the world. Mm. And a byproduct of that is our frontal lobe, rather than having a nice central kind of ball of activity, we have little dots of energy all over the place. And so what I call that is multi-thinking. We, you know, the normal farmer or, you know, the, the typical person when you put, <laughs> you give them a task, they will break it down into two or three different things. Sure. You put us in a task, we will see it as nine or 10 or 12 different things. So literally we are seeing the world in a much more complex way. Hmm. And, you know, as a byproduct of that, we have big picture thinking. We see the big picture rather than the linear picture. Um, and attention deficit disorder doesn't mean that we can't pay attention. It's we pay we pay too much attention. Hmm. And yeah, so we see sense. all of the opportunity in front of us. And so yeah. if you think about sure. that as an entrepreneur, that's great. Mm -hmm. You see all the different options and you see how complex things work together, but you put us in a cubicle and tell us to do the same mundane tasks every day, we lose our minds. <laughs> yes, that's, that's certainly true. Well, that reminds me in your book, you talk about for the, for the hunter, for the driven, where if you're a rabbit that's born in an environment where there's hawks everywhere, you're naturally wired for danger. Yep. And we're no longer, we're now our world is more rabbits born in an environment where there aren't hawks everywhere, but the driven are still wired to be looking for the hawks. Constantly. Yeah. It's a hyper vigilance. We put the hyper and the vigilant part. And mm -hmm. so, it, um, you know, you think about, you know, what the world was like 10, 15, 20,000 years ago, it was a much more dangerous place. Right. And, you know, you create this incredible, the world has never been safer than it is today. It really is. Our healthcare systems, the likelihood of you or I dying in a war is almost zero. I mean, it, it, it's crazy safe. And True. so if we're a hunter in a farmer's world, we, we feel out of place. We look out of place. We are, you know, we're workaholics and we're the Navy SEALs and we're the professional athletes. We are the ones who are hyper achieving. Right, right. It goes into the genetics and the genetics are, are really what gets people into my world because you have two primary genetics around this and both are around dopamine. And so okay. dopamine is an anticipatory reward. So I'm, I'm hoping something's going to feel good is what it does. And dopamine mm -hmm. number two, when that DR, dopamine receptor, D2-A1 allele gene, big fancy word. Um, but very simply, it's the boredom gene. And so when you have this genetic, we we feel this kind of achy, weird sense that there's something missing or wrong when we don't have enough stimuli around us. Mm. 
going to the hunter farmer theory, <laughs> very simply, if farmers felt this while they're sitting there watching their crops grow, they would wander away. Right, <laughs> <They> would... exactly. <laughs> but if we as hunters didn't feel this when we're sitting on our butts in the cave, we would never go out and scavenge. We would never want to get out of the cave. Mm -hmm. And so it suits us as drivens, you know, that this boredom, you know, we are very intolerant of doing nothing. So that the part of it, a little bit more interesting genetics because it applies to me um, more so than the hyperactivity, but people who have that DRD2 tend to be much more ADHD with the hyperactivity. They need to get stimulation in the present. Sure. <clears throat> me on the other hand, and most of this varies too, is dopamine receptor number four. And that's the FOMO gene. That's the fear of missing out gene. Mm. And it, if you think about hunters, you know, hunters are wired to feel like there's always more opportunity over the next hill. There's more woolly mammoths over there. And as a hunter, if we didn't feel that, we would kill all the game around us and starve. And so we are the, you know, National Geographic did a great exploration of, of people with this genetic and they call it the wandering gene. Mm. This is why a lot of us love to travel and love to feel like, you know, like there's more opportunity around the next bed. Yes, yes. And that can be an incredible strength because if you are wired with that driven gene, you are wired to achieve. You always want to be able to do more. And and then you can you can accomplish a lot. You can do great things in the world. But where the tipping point comes, and you talk about this in, in your book, is this drive to constantly do more and more. And this tends to be the main thing I help entrepreneurs with is when they've gone to that other side and they've blown things up, they're completely out of balance, they're overworked, they're burnt out, and they end up really creating damage in different areas of their life because you talk about the hypervigilant, the ability to be so, so focused, and then you're not, and then you are, and you can get <laughs> so deeply focused on one particular thing, say a work thing you're wanting to do, that your family blows up over here. You completely forget about your health. So, yeah, and so talk, that, about, that, talk <clears throat> about that piece. So the self-psychology, and that's something else I'm very passionate about is identity. And so you think about a farmer's identity and, and just going back 5,000, 8,000, 10,000 years, we're little, you know, we were in hunter-gatherer groups of 40, maybe 50 people. Mm-hmm. Very fluid identities, very much da Vinci's. You know, we we could build a tent, we could make a fire, we could do all of these different tasks. And, and But as societies went from hundreds to thousands to millions and the brain structure became more and more linear. Mm -hmm. My guess is, you know, that we became butchers and bakers and candlestick makers. <laughs> that we became much more specialized and much more limited. Mm -hmm. And as long as I, you know, a cobbler, as long as I make shoes and I make shoes every day, that is what I am and what I do. And it's a very simple structure. Sure. We're driven. And this is why I, I caution most of my drivens to be careful going into a normal or a typical psychologist's office because we look crazy mm -hmm. they ask us who we are and it's like 
what do you mean who am I? <laughs> like, well, I'm, I'm a dad, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a, I'm all of those things at the same time. And they, and, you know, the genetics behind our reward system. And you think about what boredom is, and it's one of the most consistent things in my world is feeling like, you know, there's something missing or wrong. And we can make an identity out of that. Mm-hmm. And meaning that there's something missing or wrong with me. Right. right. And that is why driven suffer, you know, from the imposter syndrome is a very common understanding mm-hmm. that, you know, despite all of my success on the outside, I still feel like I'm not enough on the inside. Sure. There's a disconnect between the inner and the outer world. You got it. And that, that propels people to death. And that's workaholism and all of this. You know, if I achieve enough on the outside, maybe hopefully this feeling on the inside might go away. Mm-hmm. That's my joke I always say about, you know, I, Dr. Jim Spiro, my dissertation chair, first one to ever call me doctor, shook my hand. Congratulations, Dr. Brackman. My inner world experience was, you know, literally I heard it in my head. Ha ha, he bought it. Because that feeling that I was hoping would go away, you know, maybe I'll feel smart enough. It it was reward deficient. I did not feel that, you know, oh, God, I feel great. Maybe for a flash. Right. And it immediately dissipates. And so that is where workaholism and a lot of the things that you help your audience with is, is devastating. Right. You talk about in the book uh, about climbing a pole and that (laughs) there's just another pole to climb and another pole to climb. And and I know that for myself, similar feelings. I mean, I just, I I agree with you and everything that you're saying is I've had times in my life where I've accomplished a lot. I, I made this goal and it feels really great. And then it's like, okay, now what? And there needs to be another thing. And there always has to be this other thing. And it does feel like there's got to be something wrong with you because nobody else seems to really get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. How and do so you... this, yeah, it, it comes down to identity. And that is what I, you know, the gift I give all my drivens very quickly is a rapid change in their identity. Mm. And most people and farmers do not struggle with identity like we do. They, they, they are, doctors, they're lawyers, they're this, they're that. And, you know, they don't, they have a very clear scripted idea of what that means. Sure. We, on the other hand, tend to use our feelings as the basis for our identity. And it's the most consistent thing in our worlds because God knows our thinking isn't consistent. We're all over the map. Right. And so very simply what I do in Driven is, is make a very strong case where rather than trying to figure out who you are, it's an acceptance of what you are. I love that. What you are as a monkey, what you are as a homo sapien, what you are as an animal, period, full stop. You're not your feelings, you're not your thoughts, you're not your achievements, you're not your labels. You And most right. Drivens go, oh, okay. And it's a simple, you know, stake in the ground that we can anchor everything else on. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, and I think- like it too, that you said that just coming to that self-acceptance, that it's a beautiful thing, how we've been created and we are wired 
to achieve. We are wired to want more. And we can turn that if we just reframe that into, we just want to keep learning and growing. And what a beautiful thing that is, because with that, because we want to keep learning and growing and exploring, we can change the world and we can use those gifts rather than, I think, this comparison to other people in our life that just think we're a little nuts. And, and then we think maybe we are. <laughs> and it, it's, it's literally what I do in Driven is, you know, I am an animal and I am driven mm. and because I'm driven, you know, I'm 3%, 5% of the population. And, you know, my next book is titled sheep, wolves, and shepherds. Oh, most people are sheep, you know, and we need the sheep. We need employees. Absolutely. And they are just as valuable to us as we are to them. Mm -hmm. They need us too, because we are the ones founding companies and starting companies and, and that they need to work at. Right. And the gift that we give them, you know, is, is easily misperceived though by them. Because we scare the crap out of the sheep. We really do. <laughs> Especially when we person. do things like this and come back with all the new ideas. Yeah. Make changes too rapidly in the company. And that is, <laughs> oh my God, I got the greatest idea. And all the sheep go. And everybody's, no. Oh. <laughs> She's it, not coming back from a conference again. Oh no. Because <laughs> the, the change scares them. Yes. Where we see change as a necessity for opportunity. And it's right. not, and both are true. Sure. Well, and it's why, I mean, all the beautiful people in the world, we're, we're all unique in our own way. And we, if we understand each other better, we can just support the other. Because we, we, we all need each other, like you say. It's not uh, drivens can't rule the world. We, we have to be the, the hunters, the farmers all have to come together. And the more we can understand each other, which I think this is a beautiful thing what, in what you've written here to just help driven people understand why they are, why they are. Um, yeah, once we shift gears a little bit, you talked about the mind of the driven, especially. And, and one of the things I teach on a lot is the monkey mind and the fact that guy, it just seems, and, and many of us not even just driven, but many of us deal with this constant mind chatter. And you talk about the monkey and the elephant. Okay. Can you talk more about that? I thought that was really a helpful way to understand this struggle that's going on within us. So we, we have basically two operating systems trying to make sense of this very weird experience we have being alive. It is a very strange thing when you like, holy crap, I'm alive. Um, we have one <laughs> below the nose that is very simply very old. It's a billion year old recording device. And so it's constantly recording our experiences. It, it, it's the hippies who are right. Traumas recorded in the body. Okay. Okay. Then you have another system above the nose that is constantly comparing past to future and so the one below the nose is is wired very differently and wants a different set of goals than the one above the nose the one below the nose and this was my doctoral dissertation wants a familiar predictable world it wants to know where all the landmines are it wants to know the threats it wants to know the things that could hurt me sure the one above the nose is a time machine that is constantly comparing what's happening below my nose and my body 
and running through patterns and scenarios and, and all of these opportunities and threats. Mm -hmm. And so seeing them as two separate systems, and this is my doctoral dissertation, you have, you know, and the Buddha observed a long time ago, 2,500 years ago, that we are very much like an Indian elephant with a whole bunch of monkeys up on top trying to control it. <laughs> okay, that's a great picture. An and elephant so the Indian with the monkeys elephant, on top. The Indian elephant seems to have a mind of its own, that it, it is leaning one way or the other, but most of the time it, we believe that we actually have control over this elephant. And my doctoral dissertation looked at, you know, lots of things around self-sabotage. Okay. And why, why does January suck at the gym? You go to the gym in January, there's, there's tons of people everywhere. Right. What happens in February, March, April? <laughs> so I mean, they stop going even by the end of January. You just have to wait them out. <laughs> and then and so the gym gets quieter again. <laughs> and so what is really going on there is, is a demonstration of the two different operating systems. Mm. You have this elephant that is going along for the ride. The monkey mind has convinced the elephant that this time's going to be different. I can go to the gym. I'm going to get my six pack of abs. Okay. But what the elephant eventually starts to experience is, is health. It starts to feel better. And it's more importantly, it starts to experience change and it doesn't want change. Okay. It wants the familiar. And so it starts to resist going to the gym. And that triggers the elephant, that triggers the monkey mind to either come up with a big mean gorilla and beat the shit out of the elephant and go, go to the gym. <laughs> or you got these other little elephants up or monkeys up there telling you, oh, you can go later. You can do this. You can do that. Right. You don't have to go. You and can so stay that, home today. That, that interaction between the monkeys and the elephant is, you know, and I also looked at lottery winners and my entrepreneurs that, you know, exit their companies are basically lottery winners. Mm. Most lottery winners, 80% of lottery winners within three to five years are broke and their family hates them. Uh. Why? Because it's so unfamiliar to the elephant. Mm. Good point. And so entrepreneurs and all of that, and I, I see that very often in my practice where you know they come up with the great idea, they get to a certain point of success, and then they sabotage it. They make change. <laughs> I came up with another idea. But it's really the elephant, you know, sabotaging you, going back to the familiar level of chaos and the familiar level of threat. Because that's and comfortable. Because that's comfortable. Okay. And so the Buddha question is always, which one are you? Where's Janelle in that? Where's Doug in that? Are you the monkey mind or are you the elephant? And who's in and who's in charge? Great question. <laughs> so that is, yeah, and the look on your face, and I do it in Driven, I do it in the book, is the answer is obviously both and, capital A and D, underlined neither. Mm. Yeah, there, there's that, mm, that look on your face, that mm. neither piece is, is, you know, the way they've talked about it for 40, 50,000 years is we have a mind, we have a body, and then we have a soul. Mm -hmm. And it's that third element that allows us to observe 
the monkey mind and see the cheerleaders and see the gorillas and see all the, and also experience the impulsive development and give us a pause on both and giving you the opportunity to change. And so it is that third element where, you know, and it's the joke I always say too, is that if, if anyone ever tells you they have really have it figured out about what the soul is, run because they're trying to get you in a cult. <laughs> so, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's very simply that who is really in charge of me? And, you know, being able to get to the point where you can really ask yourself with honesty and, and curiosity, what am I doing? Without mm -hmm. the job, what are you doing? No, it, it's, wait a second, what am I doing? And it's in that space that all change happens. And as you say, you know, I'm, I've got umpteen million dollars in the bank, and yet I'm starting another company. What am I doing? And, you know, I got a little kid at home and I need to work more. And it, 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 it's that, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. And as I teach Drivens, Drivens are famous for, you know, three basic areas of life, finance, romance, and health. You have always one optimized, one that's kind of okay, and one that you're ignoring. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from the soul level or from that curious level, you can actually optimize all of them. Right. And, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and I think it, it is about getting to that deep part of yourself and that spirit within you. And I, I really believe that, that God created us all with this purpose and we have these amazing minds and bodies and souls, and we have to get to that deeper part of ourselves and really understand, understand us deeply. And I think that that's what you talk about in the book, which is great. I mean, we, we all are different and it's a good thing. And the things, the way we've been wired genetically, there's beautiful things there. And then we're aware of those things that get us off track that are going to take us in the case of the driven to this constant achievement where we never feel like we're enough. And you just got to get back to that heart and soul of what's in you and what really matters. And that is, that is the gift of being driven is mm. it you have to do this work <laughs> you, right. if you don't do this work you and you use your feelings to make these decisions you are on a constant treadmill never getting there because yes. you're trying to you're chasing something that isn't real right or, you know i i believe you know that we are on this planet to really shepherd the sheep mm. and we are you know called to that in that and the difference between someone who is driving sheep and, you know, how a driver is they are behind the herd of sheep and they got a big stick and they're yelling and they're screaming and they're telling right. them where to go. Right. Where the shepherd is actually in front of the herd and being leading the sheep to greener pastures. Mm -hmm. And that's, so I think that's beautiful. For driven, we are truly called to that, but it's very easy to get frustrated with sheep and yell at them. So I mean, it's, you right. know, are you, are you a shepherd or a driver as the leader of your organization? And that, that is something that this next book I'm working on is, is diving into. And that's so important. I remember a, a really pivotal moment as I was leading my company and it was in the, in the middle of the recession 
in 2009. And it was like overnight, all of a sudden the world changed and everybody was concerned what's happening next. And nobody, nobody knew what was going on. There's just a lot of fear. We had our business drop 30% overnight, you know, jobs canceled. I had facility management company and a number of people that, that worked under me. And I, am typically a really optimistic person. I'm the visionary of the company and leading people forward, had a wonderful team around me. And there was a time because I was talking to colleagues at that time that had been really successful and they were going out of business or they just had all of a sudden this immense fear and it was catchy. And I remember I went into the office and I led a meeting in that during that week and I brought my own fear into the office and into that meeting. And we came out of that meeting and my manager, one of my managers who we had a really good relationship and he was able to say things directly to me. And he pulled me aside and he said, Janelle, you know, you're always the one that puts the wind in our sails, but you can also take it out. And it just, it just was so compelling to me. And I thought he's right. How I show up really matters as the leader of this organization. And I know that that's a heavier burden to carry, but you know what? If we were born with these leadership gifts, if we've been given these genetic traits, then that is our responsibility to lead in a way that helps to inspire others and to to be their best. I mean, I just think, sorry, guys, that's just, that's the calling. That's the mantle and step in, step up and wear it. And that that it's and again going back to the beginning of this, it's just what we are. Mm. You know, and by default, I see this in driven, we are put in positions of leadership, even if we don't want them. Right. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Because we have that natural ability to actually see the big picture that you know the farmers don't. Mm-hmm. They know that on some level. And that ability to actually just embrace what we are. And then, as you say, hone those skills and really find, you know, that it is a gift. It's not a curse. Right. To whom much is given, much is expected. (laughs) I I agree. I agree completely. And you you talk about one of the ways that we self-sabotage ourselves. I know when I went through that experience and was called out by my manager, I remember going away from that and really beating myself up, which I think we're really good at. And you talk, I think you've got to dedicate a whole chapter to it is about shame and that that's something in, and not only for people that are driven, but I think all of us deal with that to a certain extent where we can allow shame to really permeate and take over and talk a little bit about that and and what what we should do with that and, emotion. Yeah, shame gets a real bad rap, but it, it without shame, there's no society. Mm-hmm. And so you need shame to have, you know, if if I hurt you, I feel bad. Right. And that, That is what keeps the glue and society together. But the difference with that versus I hurt you, I am bad. Mm. Where I'm making an identity out of those deeper feelings. And that that is something that drivens you really well. And that is where narcissism and all this, I am good. And we get very defensive. You want to make a driven person cuckoo is accuse them of being a wolf when you're really trying to be a shepherd oh. you know, 
Yeah. And that, that there's something you're bad and I know you're bad and I don't want to hear it. And we, cause it triggers that deep core sense that I might be really broken because mm-hmm. I feel broken and you might sure. see that. And that, you know, is why these genetics are also part of the addiction spectrum. Mm. A lot of us go into addictions to numb that, to get out of it or, you know, workaholism, you know, I, I must achieve, I must be you know, perfectionism. All of those things can be really unhealthy ways to deal with this core sense that I am broken. Mm. And so that how to deal with those feelings is literally not make an identity out of them. And, you know, you, you renegotiate and you work on your emotional intelligence to where you can see that these bad feelings are there because I'm a good person. You know, right. if I hurt you and I feel bad, that makes me good. <laughs> so that's, a good that's a good thing. Sure, sure. And so it, it's really engaging this, you know, psychological mindedness or, you know, as I do in Driven, really a mastery sense, you know, that I'm constantly in a state of getting better. Mm-hmm. There is no finish line. And I want to become aware of the of the mistakes I make so I can actually improve. Right. No, I, I like that a are, lot. We are wired for mastery. It is what, you know, mastery is that sense that there is no finish line. Mm. Better has no finish line. And that's, and that's beautiful. And those emotions, I really like what you said, is those emotions are good things. It, and it's good that we're aware of them. I mean, that's the first step to mastering them, realizing that it's something we're feeling that doesn't mean it's who we are. We just have to, we're feeling shame because of this. And and then identify the why. And we may need to say we're sorry to someone. It, you know, it's helping us recognize something. And that's the first step. Yep. And it, it's don't make an identity out of it. <laughs> that's right. the, right. You know, I'm an animal. I'm a homo sapien. And I have this biology. And I have these sensations in my body. And I, they are triggered because it, it's rather than who do, who do they think I am? Who do I think I All of that is just a path to hell for driven people. Mm-hmm. No, that's certainly true. One of the things that resonated with me in the book, you had the quote at the beginning of one of the chapters of iron sharpens iron. And I mentioned I have a, a leadership mastermind of entrepreneurs where that's actually our mantra and, and getting people together who can sharpen each other. And, and you talk about the importance of, of driven individuals coming together with other like-minded people and, and why. Why is that really important? Yeah, it, it, it's essential, critical for, for a host of reasons. Um, say it this way, one of the things I'm talking about in the new book is, you know, what happens to a herd of sheep or a herd of gazelles when a cheetah runs into them? They scatter. Scatter, yeah, they run. Through you and you're on your own. Good luck with that cheetah, I'm out of here. <laughs> That is what, and the world is wired that way. Sure. We're driven, you know, hunters. We are wired much more like a wolf pack. What happens when a bear attacks one of the wolves in the wolf pack? All of the wolves, they all of the, yeah, we kick its ass. And so I've got (laughs) your back. I've got your back. And as driven people, you know, I worked a lot with Navy SEALs and I've worked a lot with, you know, military we seek those deep, real, strong connections. 
But most of the guys I work with, and I'm sure you come across the same thing and gals, um, we have been burned by farmers so many times that we give up on people. Like mm -hmm. no one really has my back. And until you get into a group of drivens where people can really start to understand that, whoa, we're different. We are different. I will have your back. And that bonding connection, you know, the masterminds and that is so essential for us to feel like we're not crazy. Right. And feel like somebody really does have our back in this world. Yes. Yeah. You know, and we are deep, deeply, yeah, deeply need to be understood and deeply need to feel like we belong to that wolf pack. Mm -hmm. Once it happens, you know, and I've worked a lot with, with startups and, and you, it is an unfair advantage a ridiculously unfair advantage when a C-suite or the leadership team in an organization really does have each other's back. But to demonstrate that, you know, I have to be willing to really risk telling you the truth. Sure. And I have to be willing to hear the truth. And that is that iron sharpens iron to where it is, you know, I'm willing to do the harder thing and willing to let you do the harder thing and hear it. But once you get on the other side and you get into that mastery model that I'm doing this to, to make you better. And I'm, you know, telling you this to make you better. Right. Then it, it becomes infectious and you get, uh, hopefully addicted to really developing relationships that just build each other up and it's Definitely. driven to wired for that it is why i why we're on this planet i truly believe that well and once you understand yourself that this is who you are you have this constant drive to get better this constant improvement so once you buy into that and really accept that as who you are the getting in bed better and better piece comes when you're with other like-minded people who are willing to call you out on your stuff and you're willing to do it to them. And because you've developed this trust with them, you're, you're willing to hear that because you know, and you get deeply that it's just going to help you be better, which is exactly the cycle that you want to be on, just continuing to get better and better. That's, but as drivens, you know, we're 3%, 5% of the population, we're and being able to find like-minded people is, you know, thank God for the internet now. And thank God mm -hmm. for these because it, it, you know, we, my second grade, third grade experience is, you know, that feeling like I'm different and feeling like no one really has my back led to my addictions and leads to addictions, leads sure. to just isolation and not happiness. I mean, it leads to really feeling empty. Yep. Uh, understandable. So if for my listeners in the audience who have a driven in their life that maybe they relate more to, they like the structure, they're the stabilizing spouse or partner at work that you're supporting a driven, how, how can we who are not driven support somebody who is? Understanding. I mean, do you want to, you want to make a driven really bond with you? is seek to understand how different they are and start to value those differences mm. rather than get scared by them. It is a, you know, cause we are, we can be impulsive, scary, judgy people. And where it, it's, we're not judging. It's more that we're just not understanding you. Sure. And so when I get non-drivens or, you know, and it, it is a spectrum, it's a continuum. It's not black or white. Right. 
but you know, for the spouses, understanding how important you are to anchoring the crazy driven in your life and bringing that stability because it is your world. It's not our world. Mm, it's our world so is too chaotic and crazy. And <laughs> it would be, but in seeing how valuable you are to them and owning your own value. And, you know, even though they may not appreciate it, they will once you can start to appreciate them. So it's a reciprocal and we need you as much as you need us. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's great. Anything else that's uh, top of mind for you that we didn't cover that you would like to, to talk about? Um, I say this to all of my, if, if you're hearing this for the first time and it starts to make sense to you that, that, you know, I, in chapter one, I say it a hundred times is that you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. You're supposed to be this way. Um, those feelings of being different and different is good. And, you know, trying to undo this and trying to just be normal or fit in is not why you're here. This is a gift. Mm, that's great. Well, for any of you listening who haven't yet read the book, I highly recommend it. If you feel that you're driven or you know somebody in your life that's driven, it is just going to be huge for you. It looks like this. And Doug, can you tell us where we can get your book and then also how our listeners can connect with you directly if they would like to? So it's, to find me, it's simple. It's imdriven.com. Okay. And that you can find links to the book and links to... Um, podcasts and all kinds of stuff about me and then I have an assessment on there if you're curious about it and it is a spectrum not all drivens are created equal there's a you know I have nine or ten different traits on my on my assessment and it'll show you how you're different from your friends and it, it's it's good stuff great well, this has been really fun and such an interesting talk. And Doug, I just thank you so much for, for being on today. We just loved having you on the Intentional Leadership Podcast. And I know that our listeners are going to find a lot of value in this. And everybody go check out this book and, and Doug's website. And we'll have the link for you to be able to go directly there and take his assessment if you'd like. It's really fun. I did. And you can learn something about yourself and and uh, anyway, go ahead and have a wonderful day. Go out and serve the world with the, the light that you have and the gifts that you've been given. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Leadership Podcast, where you will learn how to transform your leadership, crush your goals, and love your life. Each episode, I will teach you something to take your life and leadership to the next level. Then at the end, I will challenge you to take action on what you have learned. If you're enjoying this podcast, will you please take a moment to leave a positive review? This helps get the message out to impact as many people as possible. And please subscribe to this podcast. That way the episodes will drop each time a new one comes out. Remember, when you grow as a leader, your team will grow and your company will grow. You can transform your leadership, crush your goals, and love your life.